he's just up in the mountains doing his photography yeah, okay. thing. And and when he finally finds him, he the the photographer guy is just looking through his camera sight at this beautiful snow leopard or something and he just is looking and he doesn't take the picture and walter's like why didn't like come on aren't you gonna take the picture and the photographer guy is like you know sometimes when a moment is just too good i don't capture it on film because it's better to just live in the moment and and really experience it for myself and it's too precious okay and so that's why I didn't record the sound of me cracking open this beer. <laughs> this is Unreliable Sources, a Wikipedia show with Eric and Derek, where Derek and I discuss the funniest, weirdest, and most interesting Wikipedia entries we can find, hopefully for your education and enjoyment. Warning, information shared may be unreliable after filtering through our brains. Side effects of listening to Unreliable Sources may include, but are not limited to, Working title not moving on, saying no to men in black, having three birthdays a month, dumping toxic sludge into the Baltic Sea, and scream becoming more powerful than laughter. Excellent story that you're not going to hear recording back of, but you're going to hear me responding to it because I've been recording since uh, after you left. Actually, I was recording this whole conversation. Oh, were you? Good. Yes, it was, so I'm going to include this into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. That's our cold open? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you get the crack though, or was that true? I didn't get the crack. No, that wasn't it. But I did. Ex- but I got the entire explanation of why I didn't record the crack. Yes, well, Derek. But it was magnificent. That may be the case, but <laughs> oh, that was that's so the sound pretty. of Guinness opening up. Oh, and this okay. <laughs> is the sound of Guinness going in the glass? Uh, I don't know if you could. Could you hear it when I poured mine into a glass? No, but I moved this right in front of the mic. Oh, that's fair. Would. <sighs> well, you beat me to today's the, episode. To brought the to you by Guinness. Uh, I wish I was drinking some of that, but uh, <sighs> I got some Moosehead Grapefruit Rattler. Well, let's explain to the folks why we're not in the same uh, building. Fair enough. Um, I am currently in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. I'm in Minnesing, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, we're about an hour away by car. And we are currently not together uh, because, as you may know, uh, COVID-19 is forcing us to socially isolate. Yes, today is April 22nd, 2020. Just for reference, no idea when or if this will ever see the light of day as a podcast. But (laughs) if it does, that's when we recorded this. It's 6.40 p.m. right now. Oh, yeah, it is. So we usually don't live together because I go to school in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. And I just finished school in Toronto. So uh, we've been friends for coming on nine years this fall, I think. And Well, yeah, you could call us friends. You could call us <laughs> best friends, and that's probably also true. But really, you could call more us of lovers, a father-son. You know? Oh, lovers too, yeah. But it's really more of a father-son dynamic. It's um, true. In that you are my son from the future. That'll be a story for another podcast. <laughs> oh, we're not going to... All right, we'll give them the lore in little bits as it goes on. That's a good idea. Obviously. Keep them interested. This would be a really long podcast if we had to explain all the crazy stories that have come up in the past nine years. So. Um... Oh, yeah. We don't even, don't even get us into the ninja bears. Uh... <laughs> anyway, this is a podcast that we decided to start based on our... 
mutual love of Wikipedia. Yes, this is the podcast called Unreliable Sources, a Wikipedia show with Eric and Derek. The idea is, uh, throughout the week, Eric and I, uh, and my name's Derek, by the way. Yeah, Eric and Derek, or Derek and Eric. <laughs> we didn't do introductions, but anyway, the two of us, throughout the week, find some interesting tidbits of information off of Wikipedia, often finding a... Uh, further pages to look at based on the ones we already looked at. Yeah, just kind of going down down the rabbit hole there on a deep dive, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you know, getting to the dark side of Wikipedia. If that is such a thing. I'm not sure. Is it like, does Wiki- Wikipedia is like the only white background website nowadays that doesn't have a dark night mode or whatever. Well, actually, I always use night mode on everything because I used to be in computer science, and that's kind of like the standard, because it's better for your eyes when you're looking at the screen a long time. Fair, but it also could be explained by you being vegan, so that means you're just backwards to begin with. (coughs) Uh, First of many, uh, choking on beer that will happen in this podcast. (laughs) Anyway. So, um... With that little bit of background out of the way, this, uh, yeah, we kind of want to go on this podcast for just following our adventures through Wikipedia, because I've always been a lover of just, oh, I watched this movie, I'm going to look up its Wikipedia thing to find out what its reception was at the time, and Mm. how well it did at the box office, and what the development period was like, and then, oh, it was based on this story, well, I'm going to look into that too, and I just have gone on so many Wikipedia trails uh, in my life. Uh, Both Eric and I are very easily distracted, which is why deep dives into Wikipedia are a common phenomenon. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I think, uh, I believe that my brother is just outside. He just got home and is not aware of the fact that I'm recording. So we can rec- we can edit that out, yeah, or not. Uh, we can decide later. Who knows? I am absolutely competent at <laughs> editing. <laughs> <laughs> so I will do something about that. We'll see. Who knows what the final product's gonna look like? But all I know is that there's some wonderful Wikipedia pages we've got to tell you about. Oh yeah. So back to the the story I was talking about. Yeah. There. Derek and I, obviously, we've known each other for quite a long time. Uh, he spent a summer living at my house a couple summers ago. And just this past Christmas break, when he was working on a lot of his schoolwork, I got this idea because he was using Wikipedia as a research source, which is apparently frowned upon in most educational institutions for I don't know what reason. So if you're a teacher, this is your time to leave, because clearly this, this is not the podcast <laughs> for you. But he was going in really in-depth. For, and I know this is more your story to tell, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Yeah, you can. Really I love it. In depth, much more so than he ever had to, about uh, certain aspects of the Greek calendar system for an essay about how he would direct a show, a scene. I can't quite remember what it was, but it was for directorial stuff. It, it was uh, the play Iphigenia at Aulis by Euripides. Yeah, okay. So he was going in way in too much detail, and it was killing us how just how funny this information was, Ugh. and how he just kept going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, and it just clicked to me like this would be a, like we're 
killing ourselves laughing. This would be a great podcast idea. So here we are. So here um, we are. That was in December of 2019, and here we are four months later, and it's gotten off the ground, finally, thanks to the whole world being put on pause. Uh, we've had lots of time, so we figured, you know what? Let's actually get to it. And besides, it's a good way for the two of us to hang out and have a nice conversation, get some quality time in there while we're uh, distanced. A moment of quiet for just a second. That's Guinness again. <laughs> that way you had the moment of quiet just so we could hear your Guinness? Yes. All right. So, um, where did you start with your with your stuff this week? Uh, well, I had a I had a lot of just very different pages going. Uh, obviously, I've got the page on the Attic calendar or the Athenian calendar, as it's known, that started this whole thing. But I've also got a couple of other pages that I looked at. I'm pretty pretty excited to share some wacky stories about one of my favorite directors, Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. All so, right. uh, you know what? I say without any further ado, I'm going to hop right into it. And you know what better place to start than the place that started it all? The attic calendar. Yeah, it sounds like the calendar you should <laughs> stuff in your fucking attic because it doesn't belong anywhere else. Uh, wait, wait till they've heard more about it. You know, when we <sighs> when I first read this, I just I couldn't stop laughing, and I was trying to really be historic about it and figure it out. So I was, you know, really reading up on on what time of year it was supposed to be because they don't mention strictly in the play, and they had different months anyway. So I did all my research. And I found that they do things a lot differently than we do. How so? So, first of all, their calendar is based on the moon. So it's a lunar calendar, as opposed to our 365 and a quarter day solar calendar. Uh, and thank now, you, Pope Gregory, for that, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, and so a lunar calendar is about 11 days shorter than the solar calendar, if you just are a strictly lunar calendar. Going off the faces of the moon. Yeah. Uh, and so a calendar like the Islamic calendar, which is a lunar calendar, it kind of shifts back a little bit. So if you were to number their years, it, they wouldn't line up the same uh, as yeah, our years because behind. they start falling behind by 11 days each year, which it works for that. But for the Athenians, who very much needed to uh, base their calendar around the seasons because of the harvest and all that, they had to find a way to circumvent this shifting problem so that they could predict when the seasons were going to come. And so they decided to add an extra month every third year, which had 384 days in it because it was a, a 13 lunar cycle year. All right, all right. Your leap month, why not? And the way they did it is... They took the sixth month, which was named Poseidon, after the god of the ocean, and they just did it a second time. They just had two Poseidons back to back. It'd be like if we had March twice, uh, not March, sorry, June twice. You know what? I would be okay with having March twice, because my birthday's in March. Uh, yeah. So sure. I would, it's double birthdays, you know? That gives me a, an interesting question, you know, so people who have birthdays on February 29th. Yes. They celebrate, they can, they, their technical birthday is only once every four years. But, I mean, yeah, but I would just personally shift it to March 1st. Yeah, and I, I, that's the more logical thing to do. But here is my question, based on your comment. If in this situation where you literally repeat the month and it has the same days, if you were born on Poseidon, uh, on, the, on the 10th day of Poseidon, does that mean you get to celebrate your birthday twice every three years? 
So like, so an ex, so four times well, every see, three years. Here's the thing with the Athenians: if you were born a slave, it it, it wouldn't matter because no one cares. Really, there's only like an eighth of the population that they would have cared about, so it probably didn't happen very often. Fair enough. Now, the the really good part of this calendar comes when we actually go a little bit deeper and look at the months. Oh, please do tell me. <laughs> uh, each month had 29 or 30 days in length because the lunar cycle is approximately 29 and a half days. So as opposed to how we do it, where each month has a specific number of days, for example... January has 31 days. They just decided as the month was coming to a close whether it was going to be a 29-day month or a 30-day month, depending on how the moon looked. You know, that sounds like the way I would handle things. I'm not going to give them. I'm not going to give them crap too hard. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really feeling like a 29-month day or <laughs> day month. Day month, yeah. Yeah, according to my smartwatch, it says it's the new moon tonight. Uh, so I guess this one's going to be a bit longer. <laughs> Now, my favorite part of this whole thing, though, is the naming of the days. You see, we have numbering straightforward from 1 to 30, or 1 to 31, or Mm -hmm. 28, whatever. The Athenians started their month on New Moon. It's the first day of the month. And then it counted up to 10, second waxing, third waxing, fourth waxing, etc., up to 10th waxing. Then they had the 11th through 19th day, which are not labeled as waxing or waning, pertaining to the moon, followed by what would be the 20th is instead called the earlier 10th, making it the second 10th day of the month, (laughs) which is immediately followed by the 21st day of the month, the later 10th, which is the third 10th day. Oh, yes, I was born on the 10th of Poseidon, which Poseidon, uh, the second one, which 10th, the third one. So we've already got a, a calendar that has three dates labeled, uh, uh, sorry, a month with three dates labeled as the 10th, and we're only 21 days in. And then it follows by counting down from nine, ninth waning, eighth waning, seventh waning, etc., down to second waning. And the last day of the month is old moon, or sorry, old and new moon. And in the months that were 29 days, because the uh, the last day is very important. The old and new moon is like the, the day of the full moon. That day is very important. So they just decided to cut the second waning day. So the month would go 9876543 old and new. They just said, you know what? The numbering system's good as it is, but uh, after three, we're going to go to the end of the month. You know what? Two and one are overrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I could never get over the fact that they had three-tenths in their month. Uh, it probably led to a lot of confusion, but that's what they decided. So that's how it's got to be. Alrighty, yeah, no. That's a, <laughs> that's a pretty good one. So where'd you go after that? Uh, you know, I had a different... I just had an entirely different page here after that. Um, I did a lot right, of... Well, here, I'm going to take a second then. Oh, yeah. You can... I went on two different tangents myself, and the first one is relatively short, so I'm going to just describe my way through it. So uh, I started on the page for Spotlight, specifically the theater lighting Spotlight version, yeah. because uh, I'm a theater guy. And, Same here. <laughs> um, apparently there is multiple kinds of Spotlight. So fun fact, it's also called a follow spot. I'm sure you knew that. I did as well, but putting that out there... Yeah. And now, this might surprise you, but a spotlight is operated by a a person called a spotlight operator. (laughs) Which, Derek, you know a lot about being 
after all, the best in your category of spotlight operators. Uh, it's true. Uh, back when we were in high school together, I often operated the spotlight whenever I couldn't uh, commit enough time to act in the shows. R.I.P. the Sears Drama Festival. Oh, sad. I uh, I have a lot of fond memories from that from that uh, that time running the spotlight. Good times in the show. You you uh, helped to write that show, but I don't want to get too far into that. I'll let you continue on your tangent. All you need to know is that working title should have moved on. Yeah, we'll say that a lot. You'll just... Alas, pity. That too. Anyway, apparently Super Trooper is the most famous brand of follow spot. Okay. Because there's an ABBA song with the same name. I I know the song. I'd actually never heard of it, but I love ABBA, so I paused my reading to listen to it on YouTube. And, And then I moved to the page for that song. It's okay. It's no Dancing Queen, but I liked it well enough. Can I say something? Yeah. It's time for something really deep. I also love ABBA. And I have to admit here, I have never seen... Um, Mamma Mia? <laughs> Mamma Mia. I've never Neither seen I. <laughs> And I get a lot so... of flack for that, you know? Lots of my friends who who love that movie especially with the sec with the sequel coming out last year i think it was um, yeah we should we should fix that <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll watch it sometime but i always mean to and i just never get to it but <laughs> my friends were like let's go see mamma mia too and i was like i haven't seen the first one and then they just shunned me and don't talk to me anymore you know what we'll watch it together but after i was done with uh, that there wasn't actually really anything else interesting on that page for the song other than it was apparently ABBA's ninth and final number one single in the UK. All right, good. So yeah, nothing else was particularly interesting there. So I started a new tangent on the page for the word boo. Okay, before you get to that, I actually, I went on a really small tangent earlier this week on Wikipedia looking at the band Chicago. Do you know them? No, I'm aware of the show and I'm aware of the city. I think they released their first album in 1969. But they really became big in the 70s. That's when they released... Uh, 71 was the year they released one of my favorite songs by them, which is a 25 or 6 to 4. Uh, you'd probably know it if you heard it. But I was just on Spotify looking at their music, and I noticed that all of their albums are named with Roman numerals, except for just, like, a couple. And I mean, like, they straight number them from uh, the second one, well, I guess I should start at the beginning. The first album they released was self-titled, Chicago Transit Authority, which was the original name of the band. Uh, but then when that kind of took off, they were like, well, we don't want to get uh, any legal trouble here. So they just shortened it to Chicago as their full name. And then they named their second album, a self-titled album, Chicago, which was later changed to Chicago II or Chicago II. Mm-hmm. And then every album after that, with exception, with the exception of, I think... 12, 16, and like 20 or something like that. All the rest of them are named with Roman numerals. So it's Chicago III or Chicago 3, then IV, V, etc. And it goes all the way up to like Chicago XXX or Chicago 30. Oh, I love Chicago XXX. (laughs) Uh, How did I know you'd make that joke? Because you're from the future? Anyway, it's just... I was looking at this band, and I could not figure it out as to why they decided it, but they did. They named their albums just the band's name and then a, a Roman numeral for like 30 years, all all numbered in sequential order. You know what? If it works, 
it works. Um, so yeah, continue with your page, Boo. Oh yeah, so Boo. I assume you're talking about the sound? Uh, yes. Boo is an onomatopoeic word for a loud, startling sound, and is an exclamation intended to scare or as a call of derision, is the definition Wikipedia gives. Uh, and as a small tangent here, I once booed my sister's friend at an elementary school talent show. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I was young. I was quite young. And I knew it was her. And I had heard the phrase like, boo, get off the stage. So I was like, I want to no. try doing that. And <laughs> okay. it's Stacy. Stacy let's say Stacy will know it was a joke. So I'm like five years old and I'm, my mom's got me in her arms and I just yell, boo, get off the stage. <laughs> and my mother was mortified. <laughs> Uh, I love that for you. Yeah, and um, Stacy has forgiven me for it, but yeah. So I once booed my sister's friend off the stage. Okay, continue uh, your talking about the page. So now, going through the page for Boo, it wasn't actually very long. It's more of a discombobulation page after it gave, gave the definition of what a Boo is. And surprisingly, there are several places called Boo. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, this is less surprising, though. There are obviously more languages than just English, so it's not just people being like, oh, I'm going to name this place Boo! Um, but Boo is also the name of a hamster from Baldur's Gate. So uh, we found a connection to D&D in our very first episode. Ah. And obviously it also listed Boo from Monsters, Inc., which is a great movie. And I decided from this to link to uh, the page for Boo Sweden, one of the places named Boo. It's an island part of the famous Stockholm region of Sweden, the Stockholm Archipelago to be exact. Mm -hmm. As of 2010, there are 24,052 people living in Boo. Okay. And it's no longer an independent municipality. As of 71, it's part of the Naka municipality. So from there, I decided to move on to the Stockholm County. Okay. Unsurprisingly, it's home to the city of Stockholm, the capital of Sweden. More than one-fifth of the Swedish population lives in Stockholm County. And it was established all the way back in 1714, when back then the city of Stockholm was its own political entity and not part of the rest of the Stockholm County, which is weird. It's like the London and the city of London. I'm not going to go into that now, but those are two <sighs> very different places. This changed in 1968 when Stockholm County and the city of Stockholm finally, like two star-crossed lovers, became one. That is such a lovely story. Also... It's on the coast of the Baltic Sea, and that's where I'm going to go next. But do you have anything you want to say? Uh, I do, actually. I just want to relate a story that is not Wikipedia-related, but I really thought of it when you mentioned your story about booing your sister. or your sister's friend, sorry. Yeah, it was Stacy. Yeah. And it makes me think of scaring people. Well, did you know that laughter is ten times more powerful than scream? I did know that. I have seen Monsters, Inc., actually. Ah, uh, great film. Um, <laughs> but anyway... One Halloween, when I was maybe like 17 or 18 or something, I uh, I wasn't going to go trick-or-treating because I was getting a bit too old for that. You're never too old for free candy. <laughs> you, that is the truth. But I dressed up as a scarecrow. Uh, really like scary one, like not a childish fun scarecrow. Oh one. yeah, no, I remember the costume. It, some people in our high school like... We're not very comfortable with it because scarecrows are apparently a common phobia. Yeah, when I walked into high school, I just had this burlap hood covering my entire head with, like, ripped up clothes, straw coming out, big clomping uh, Wellington boots and these work gloves and a straw hat and all this. And I just lumbered around school all day <laughs> and people avoided me. But yeah, I'm getting off topic. 
Um, last thing I'm going to say before we get back on our topic is if a scarecrow is made out of straw and they wear a straw hat, is that the equivalent of like me wearing a leather hat? Um, only if it's made from your uh, human skin, I'll say. It doesn't have to be your own. All right, fair enough. So, did you have anything else from your end, or can I start going into the Baltic Sea? What do you think? Uh, you know what? You go into Baltic Sea because I got something that uh, I've got something else for after that. So, first of all, apparently the Baltic Sea is a Mediterranean Sea of the Atlantic Ocean. Gotcha. Because apparently a Mediterranean isn't just the Mediterranean. It's a sea that is mostly enclosed, that has a limited exchange of water without erosions and water circulation, dominated by salinity and temperature differences rather than winds. That's your fun fact of the day. Like it. Uh, so the Mediterranean Sea is a Mediterranean Sea. But it's also the most lazily named sea of all time. <laughs> all right. I, I like that. Uh, so I expect dope Viking stuff on this page, it being the Baltic and all. And yeah, immediately, uh, there was a period of time where the Kingdom of Denmark collected sound dues from ships at the border of the ocean and the landlocked Baltic Sea. So wait, as they passed by, they just had to scream out to pay their sound dues? Oh, uh, no, it was because it, it, the area was called the Baltic Sound, I believe. Ah, my version was cooler. And this tax that was being collected by the Kingdom of Denmark for the 16th and 17th centuries made up two-thirds of Denmark's income. Okay. Like, that, that's pretty crazy. It was introduced by King Eric of Pomeria, so uh, that didn't take very long for me to find someone with my name. Well, wait till you find someone with my name. It'll take a lot longer. Well, yeah, because it's not as cool a name. King Eric the Chad started them in 1429, and they remained in fact... Wait, is that his actual name? No, but that's what I'm calling him. Okay. Uh, so King Eric the Chad started them in 1429, and they remained in effect until 1857. So my boy had, like, over 400-year-long effect on the waterways uh, in Denmark to make them dollar bills. Uh, well, probably not actually dollar bills, because dollars and bills weren't really a thing for most of that time. Yep, continue. So another interesting part of this, uh, the Baltic Sea, is depending on where you put the border of what is the Baltic Sea and what isn't, different conclusions can be made about how healthy the wildlife in the Baltic Sea is. Because the further into the sea and the further away from the Atlantic Ocean you get, the less oxygen there is in the water. Okay. And the colder and less rich the life is. Mm -hmm. So depending on some definitions of the Baltic Sea, the species in it are like critically endangered. And other ones, it's a it's a sea that's thriving with life. Okay. So uh, that's I just thought that was interesting. Borders mean a lot. Very fair. Uh, next, I found some entomology, or not entomology, that's insects. Etymology. Love it. Which I love. I also love etymology, which makes us both very nerdy. But I'm okay with that. Yeah. So the Baltic had a few names earlier, but the first person to call it the Baltic was a guy named Adam of Bremen, a medieval German chronicler. And it possibly derives its name from the Latin word Baltaeus, which means belt. Some Swedish historians think that the name might come from the god Balder of Nordic mythology. So there we go. We're getting into Viking stuff with my boy Balder. Love it. Also, this is the second time we've used the word Balder in this episode. Although this time is not related to D&D. &D. Well, I guess mythology is related to D&D &D in that it inspired it, but it's not the same Baldur, so. 
Eh, whatever. Since the Viking Age, the Baltic Sea has been useful not only for fish, but apparently it provides amber as well, especially along the southern border. So that's interesting. Nice. Amber being fossilized tree sap coming out of the ocean. Uh, the world changes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sure does. The main power of the Baltic Sea changed around a lot. Sweden tried to basically do the Rome thing mm. with it, where you just had an empire surrounding the entire sea, except instead of the Mediterranean, it was the Baltic, which is a Mediterranean. <laughs> it didn't quite succeed in controlling the entire thing. Denmark gradually got control over most of the Baltic until she lost much of her possessions after being defeated in the 1227 Battle of Bornhovid. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but there's an umlaut over the O, the second O. Well, umlauts act differently in most languages, so it would probably make an O sound. <clears throat> Skipping forward, uh, in the 18th century, Russia and Prussia became the most powerful countries over the sea. And it was at this point that Peter the Great, who liked the Baltic Sea so much for its strategic importance, that he decided to make St. Petersburg, a brand new city, the new capital, and he plopped it right on a bay of the Baltic Sea. So that's why we have St. Petersburg. All right. And during World War II, a ship called the Wilhelm Gustloff was sunk, yeah. and it remains the worst maritime disaster in history, killing around 9,000 people. Uh, when you say worst maritime disaster, I think of a different one that happened in Halifax, because we refer to the east coast of Canada as the maritime provinces. Maritime just means the sea. Uh, it took me a second there to realize... We're not talking about the Halifax explosion, at least not today. Not today. That's for a different episode. So yeah, 9,000 people went down on the on the ship there. That is a lot. Yeah. Since World War II ended, hey, various Wait a nations, second, I have a question including... for you. Oh yeah, go on. You happen to be quite the uh, Titanic historian. How many people uh, died in that tragedy? Around 1,500. Oh, okay, so not even nearly close. No, 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 no. Titanic is one of the worst peacetime maritime disasters, but not close to being among the worst maritime disasters. Since World War II ended, various nations, including the Soviet Union and the UK and the US, have used the Baltic to dispose of chemical weapons because we just can't have nice things. So let's just destroy the entire sea because we have nowhere else to put our mustard gas. To this day, fishermen still accidentally pull some of that crap up. No, that's shitty. Yes. Before I continue on about the Baltic, I still have... Uh, a lot about the Baltic, but do you have anything else you want to put out? Uh, I actually wanted to change topics. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, I think we've been talking about the Baltic for a while. Maybe we'll come back, but I have really cool stuff that I want to get into about Quentin Tarantino. Yes, Tarantino. Uh, I love Tarantino. I'm a huge fan of his movies. I have uh, I know seen there's... one half of Inglorious Bastards. Oh, uh, that's, that's not enough. One of my favorite movies of all time is Reservoir Dogs, which is his first film or his first uh, feature length film, which he actually self produced. Like a, it was independently filmed and produced in 1992. And he paid for it with money that he earned for writing scripts for other things. Mm -hmm. But after he made this first movie, it was like pretty popular and people, and he started making a name for himself. And it became a question of uh, what is he going to do now? You know, like he'd been a writer for a while and he writes all of his own films. But after his first big movie, different producers in Hollywood actually offered him various directing jobs, including Men in Black. 
Okay. So, <laughs> you've seen Men in Black, I'm pretty sure, right? I've seen men wearing black. Yeah, but I just, I'm just, I can never stop imagining a Tarantino Men in Black. So, he was offered Men in Black, but he turned it down. And instead, he moved to Amsterdam to write Pulp Fiction, which has become a cult classic. It's one of the most famous movies of that time period. And I can never get over the fact that he was offered this big movie and he was like, okay, I see that. But what if I moved from Hollywood to Amsterdam and wrote my own film? Yeah. Um, yeah, it works out for some yeah. people, uh, I would imagine. You just, you gotta respect the nerve of that man as, like, as as an artist yourself, and I'm an artist as well, like, can you imagine being offered you a, a, an acting role, or myself a directing role in a major motion picture, and then being like, how about, no, thanks, but uh, I'm gonna move to Amsterdam. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's something else. When you look at all of the films that he almost directed, that's when it really gets wacky. Tarantino's a huge fan of comic books. And, like, in the 90s alone, like, totally, totally undercutting Marvel, his list of unrealized projects or movies that he almost made, but then they fell through while they were in pre-production, so, like, they never even got started in the production, are a film based on Green Lantern, a film based on Iron Man for New Line Cinema, a film based on Luke Cage, which he was offered after Reservoir Dogs, and he's a huge fan of the character, but he uh, he didn't do it because, again, he wanted to do Pulp Fiction. So this man was so driven for Pulp Fiction, he's like, I know what I'm going to do, and even though I've been offered to direct a film based on Men in Black, and even though I've been offered to direct a film based on one of my favorite comic book heroes i'm gonna not do either of those and then just go and do my own thing he also was offered a job directing a film based on silver surfer which also fell through and it continued into the 2000s this isn't even all the movies he was he almost directed but these are just the best ones he almost directed uh, or he wanted to direct Casino Royale in 2006, but he only ended up working in the background with uh, James Fleming's family, or sorry, Ian Fleming, James Bond, Ian Fleming's family, uh, who's the author of James Bond, but they didn't want him as the director. Lexi, stop barking. If you can hear that, that's my dog barking. Someone's probably walking on the street. Yeah, yeah. She's a pretty antsy dog, but. Oh, but she's such a good girl. Except for the part where she won't shut up. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, he had Green Lantern, Iron Man, Luke Cage, and Silver Surfer movies that he almost directed. Not bad. Yeah. Anything else about Tarantino? Where where did that take you? Uh, from there, I didn't go on too deep, like off of off on tangents from here, but I just I can't help but like the man for kind of knowing what he's doing. He's like. You know what? I'm gonna turn down that movie, and I'm gonna direct my own movie that I've that I have 
absolutely no idea if it's going to turn out. It's an original IP. I'm going to go for it. You know, I feel passionately. And you got to respect the man who has passion to follow that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a driven, uh, that's a driven man. I would probably have said yes to Men in Black. <laughs> you know what? Me too. <laughs> um, I like recommend people read the Wikipedia page on Quentin Tarantino. Just that alone. It's 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 pretty wacky. There's some stuff in there that just doesn't sound like it could be real. You know what I mean? Fair enough. But you know what is real? What? Tell me. The biology of the Baltic Sea. And I love biology. <laughs> so with that segue, uh, going back to my, my talk about the sea. If you're done, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you oh, off. Oh, yeah, I'm done. All right. So depending on where you are, you find more freshwater or saltwater species. Uh, generally closer to the Atlantic, you find more saltwater, and the further you are from the Atlantic, you get more freshwater species, because the Baltic Sea is technically brackish water, which is defined as water that isn't quite fresh, but isn't quite salt water. It's All a crappy right. definition, but that's what it is. Because of its uh, relatively young status as a sea, uh, geogra- geographically, geologically speaking, there's actually only two known endemic species. Uh, endemic species, for those who don't know, mean that they are unique to a defined geographic location, so you can't find them anywhere else. And those are the brown algae and the Baltic flounder. There are some people who think the Copenhagen cockle, a rare mussel, might be endemic, but there's also some records of it in the Mediterranean. But some people think that those non-Baltic records might be in misidentification of juvenile lagoon cockles. And my favorite thing about this whole thing is the name cockle. Of course. There are also some species that have been left behind by the last ice age because now they're basically trapped because they're cold water species. So they're basically trapped in the cold of the Baltic because if they try to go out to the uh, out, it's too warm and they die. Mm. Uh, these include the Baltic ringed seal, which is a really cute animal. I recommend you look them up. They, they got little spots. They're like little leopards, but they're not leopard seals. That's confusing. I'm doing it right now. But continue talking while I look up Baltic uh, There are seal. also certain cetaceans. Uh, that called the Baltic home, including the Atlantic white-sided dolphin and harbor porpoises, and occasionally mink whales, bottlenose dolphins, belugas, orcas, beaked whales, and very occasionally fin whales, which are super cool. They're uh, the lesser-known cousins of blue whales, which aren't quite as huge, but are also very huge. They're the second-largest whale, and they come into the Baltic occasionally in mother-calf pairs. Mm. And there's also a record of basking sharks in the Baltic Sea, which I love basking sharks. They're super... Mm, I like those sharks. Super rare, big old mouths, eat a lot, and I can I can relate to that. I, uh, I actually did look up Baltic ringed seal, and I can say with 100% certainty that they are adorable. So do look up Baltic ringed seals, anybody who's listening. Yeah. Yeah, he's right. Yes, I'm looking at one right now. It's, it kind of looks like a little blob with leopard spots on the back. You know what? A little blob with leopard <laughs> spots on the back is the isn't people don't even they don't you don't need to look up the picture anymore. It's been described. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say that's like half of the pictures are just blobs with a face, fins, tail, and leopard spots. So the last little bit though that I had to say on the Baltic before I moved on mm-hmm. was. It's beginning to have issues with massive algae blooms caused largely by runoff from fertilizer and other surrounding agricultural issues. So, uh, come on, folks, let's be better than that. 
I mean, it's better than the intentional dumping of chemical weapons, but most things are. And because of the difference in salinity among the different layers of the ocean, uh, salt water is heavier than brackish or fresh water, so the saltier part tends to be at the bottom of the ocean. And that creates a dead zone, actually, because there's not a lot of mingling with the atmosphere. The water down there is very deoxygenated, and it's causing big issues, because part of it is driven by human interference. Uh, it's causing big issues with the wildlife in the Baltic, because most things need oxygen to survive. Uh, so there's actually a plan in place by the University of Gothenburg, which intends to use wind-driven pumps to inject air into water 130 meters below the sea level. Like you do. <laughs> you ever blow bubbles in your milk with the, with your straw? You know what? I used to do that. That is definitely true. Yeah, it's like that, but with an industrial-sized wind fan, and it's, it's the Baltic Sea. Fair enough. We're getting a little long on time, so I think I'm going to close it up with one uh, little story related to bubbles. Well, actually, I'm going to close it up a little bit here, if you don't mind, because there's just something uh, I wanted to get to. Well, let me say my thing about bubbles here, uh, because it's pretty quick, but I just had to say, I'm studying acting in university at the moment, and I like to think of it as a pretty serious area of study, even though it's not got the reputation for that. A lot of people think that studying acting is a waste. I don't believe that. Yeah, well, no, those people are wrong, but do continue. Yeah, but it really doesn't help my arguments when I also have times when I spent an hour of class time blowing bubbles with my group partners one time this semester. We, we, we literally spent an hour, like an entire hour, blowing bubbles and shining lights at them to see how we could use that in a, in a performance we were doing, which actually got cancelled because school got shut down because of COVID. So, As someone who went through the device theater stream, that, no, no, whatever your method is, you follow it, and you figure it out, and it'll be great. Oh, it was a great time. <laughs> I loved it. So the last little bits that I wanted to say yeah, was, of course, because we can't have nice things, after World War II, because, you know, World War II fucking sucks, when Germany was disarmed, a large quantities of ammunition stockpiles were just tossed into the Baltic and North Atlantic, which caused major environmental uh, problems. Shocker there. To quote Wikipedia directly, potentially life-threatening consequences to the health and safety of humans on the coastlines of the seas has been caused by these ammunition dumps. So just a disclaimer, don't do that. Well, as we already previously talked about, according to all English teachers ever, Wikipedia is not a credible source. So I actually am going to go with the belief that those very dangerous chemicals we're dumping are making them healthier. I think you're a moron. That's the status quo. So basically, like all sitcoms, we've come right back to where we started. Exactly. So now it's time for the end. Well, actually, there's still one more thing I wanted to get to. So I'm going to spitfire this. From the Baltic Sea, I moved back onto the sound tolls. Yeah. Remember when Denmark was making all that money because of my boy Eric of Pomeria, Eric the Chad? Yeah. And not going to lie, I just wanted to learn more about Eric, so I knew I would get to him through the link to those tolls, which I did. So going back to Eric of Pomerania, he was born in 1381 or 1382. Calendars, like we've already discussed, are weird. And he died on the 24th of September, 1459. And, yeah, 
He was the leader of the Komari Union, which was a union of Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. And that was for the majority of his important time until he was deposed in 14... Looking through my notes here. Yeah, in 1440, he was succeeded by Christopher of Boravia in Denmark and Sweden, and then he was deposed by the Norwegian nobility. For 10 years, my man, Eric the Chad, he he pulled a Tarantino here. He's like, I'm not going to be down on my luck because people are telling me what to do. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. So for 10 years, he decided to become a pirate in the Baltic, as if this guy couldn't be any cooler. You know what? That's definitively cooler. Everyone knows when you add pirates to something... It's cooler. From 1449, he decided to stop being a pirate and succeed as the Duke of Pomerania, which he stayed as for 10 more years before he finally decided it was his time to die because he made that decision himself in 1459. So this guy went from noble to king of three countries, making his mark on the Baltic Sea for over 400 years to being deposed, to deciding to be a pirate, to then being, you know what, I'm going to give up the life of piracy and not pay any of the consequences for having broken the law for 10 years. And instead, I'm just going to be a duke. Sign me up. That sounds like a life. That's this episode's Eric. Expect another Eric in the next episode. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find a way to sneak one in there. Absolutely. So, uh, do you have any closing remarks? Well, I started to think this podcast was becoming the Lord of the Rings, both because of its length and also the many multiple endings that we just had. But we still haven't named the show. Oh, no, we haven't named the show. But I do have a name for the episode. What's the episode name? Calendars are weird. You know what? I like it. So there we go. Sounds good. Very short and sweet. Thank you for being here with me, Derek. Well, unfortunately yeah. not here with me. But thank you for uh, spending your time with me. I, You, you are so important and uh, i appreciate all the time we get to spend with each other oh i appreciate all the time we get to spend with each other also you know what? and this is just one more way we get to spend time together so that's good and thank you all of our listeners for listening to the inaugural no no that was the empty space i was leaving for uh, the name of our podcast to be put in again Oh, okay. We can try that one more time. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. So, thank you, audience, for listening to Unreliable Sources, a Wikipedia show with Eric and Derek. Episode 1, Calendars Are Weird. All right. What an outro. And now let's uh, go off to the outro music that I'm putting you on the spot for, for having to compose uh, to go along with the intro music you're also going to have to compose uh, for right. our podcast. All right, am I supposed to do it live right now, or do I do, I do it off, off? Oh, I was imagining off screen, but let's hear your best okay. let, Let's hear your best thoughts about what it's going to be, and then it'll be followed up by what it actually ends up being. Okay, it's going to sound something like... Wait, am I, should I use a real song or, or compose something right now? Oh, compose something. We don't want to go into any copyright oh, infringement shit. type stuff. That's why I said yeah, you're going to compose. Enough. Okay, okay. Uh, so I'm thinking... It's just going to fade in and be like... Something like that. You know what? I love it. 
I did that just off the top of my head. So. If it were up to me, we would use that exact sound recording and it'd be done. But I think you can do a better job with a piano and, the, and your computer. All right. Well. So this is our, we had a cold open and now this is our cold close, I suppose. So, uh. Cold close, I suppose. Well, it's been lovely making this first episode of the podcast. Yeah, with hopefully you. you've cut this train wreck off at this point. Like, I hope this, ne- I hope this part never sees the light of day. <laughs> we'll see depending on how my editing goes we're pretty over time so i will cut it at yeah. some point and figure out how that's gonna look but for now so i think now our, we can we can call the podcast over thanks for listening to unreliable sources eric and i hope you enjoyed it and we would like to thank wikipedia for everything we've learned this episode we are eternally grateful wikipedia is a non-profit website and relies primarily on donations to stay afloat. If you can, consider throwing a small donation their way. In the spirit of the release of this podcast, I'm happy to say that Eric and I both donated to Wikipedia.